and then the U.S. Census Bureau is who came up with the word Hispanic. So because that is a, a government term, even though organizers and people forget this, organizers knew that there would be an advantage to being counted as a group. There's this um, negative energy around the word Hispanic because it's the government imposing this term on us. That's Brenna Gonzalez, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Hey guys, I'm your host, Cara Duffy. And in this episode, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Brenda Gonzalez, founder, co-CEO, and co-host of the Tamarindo Podcast, a Latinx empowerment podcast. We discuss the impact of Prop 187 in California and its impact on national politics. We go down the rabbit hole of the origin of the term Hispanic. And we talk about why representation, organization, and access to source documents matter so much for every group to be counted, understood, and to have fact-based truths. Before we jump into this episode, I wanna take a moment and invite you to join my Thrive membership. Thrive is built for entrepreneurs who are looking for access to a global community of fellow entrepreneurs for business coaching and 24 seven available tools and resources to grow your business so you and your business can thrive. Get your questions answered in weekly group coaching sessions and gain the clarity and confidence you need to go from overwhelmed and underpaid to succeeding with more freedom and fun. Visit learn.caraduffy.com to learn more and join today. So welcome to the Powerful Ladies podcast. Let's jump right in. Please tell people who you are, where you are in the world and what you're up to. Well, hi, everybody. My name is Brenda Gonzalez, and I'm the co-creator and co-CEO at Tamarindo Podcast, which has grown from being beyond a podcast. It's a platform, an empowerment platform is what we like to call it. And where I am in the world, I'm in Los Angeles in our home studio where most of the podcast recordings happen. Amazing. And tell us more about the podcast. What, what is the topic? The Tell me all the details so we get the full pitch. Yeah. So Tamarindo the podcast started in 2016, sort of in response to what was happening uh, ahead of the presidential election. There was a lot of, if people remember, then candidate Trump pretty much starting his campaign, calling Mexican rapists, as we know the story goes. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to have a positive place to talk about important issues that impact the Latinx community, to inspire folks, but to use levity. It's always been about using levity and jokes and, and laughter to bring people in and have them meet important people that are doing fabulous things with their platform or learn about an issue that more Latinos need to be aware about and need to perhaps take some action around. Mm -hmm. So that's really what was the genesis behind Tamarindo. We also um, had a huge advantage in that my husband, Jeff, is a, for fun, he produces music. So we had access to a studio and excellent editing. So that was a huge advantage that we had from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And now uh, Anna Shayla is my podcast partner, my business partner, and she's been part of the podcast since 2019. It's really, really stepped up since Anna Shayla joined the, the podcast. Mm -hmm. One additional ingredient that she brings to the show is something that we like to call calma, which basically means calm in English. But it's this idea of well-being and, and this notion that if we are well, then we could be better advocates for our community. Mm -hmm. And with that mission, we have fantastic conversations now weekly, and we 
also have events. And that's really the, the story behind Tamarindo. Yeah, I love it. And we had first got connected because we were scheduled to have our next Powerful Conversation series about, you know, female Latinx voices. And we had to cancel it because of my scheduling issues. So I'm excited to have that conversation again, but we were hoping it could all work for Hispanic Heritage Month, which is while we're recording this podcast. Uh, it may just be over when this comes out, but right on the edge. Uh, but so when we're talking today, there's I've read a whole article about like, um, Hispanic versus Latina versus Latinx versus Chicano. Like there's so many, of course, the, the Hispanic community is so diverse and large and there's so many words to describe it. Let's just begin there. Like what, what are the, the preferred or best ways to be describing people who are within this community? I think it's really up to the individual. So folks mm -hmm. might have different labels that they come across, but we, Antamarindo, we like to use Latinx. Mm -hmm. The reason why we like Latinx is uh, we felt that folks have, have communicated that they feel more like it's a more inclusive term. Mm -hmm. Specifically, it's about in including folks that might not fall in the gender binary, right? Yeah. So that is the reason why we use Latinx and, and we continue to use that. And um, I want to encourage folks to learn a little bit about the history behind all these different terms. And I want to point people to a professor of sociology at Berkeley, UC Berkeley. Her name is Christina Gomez. I'll have to double check that. So you might have to edit <laughs> this out until I confirm the name. But I'm pretty sure that that is her name. But uh, an excellent place that people can learn a little bit more about this is by listening to the Experiment podcast and specifically mm -hmm. the conversation on in inventing Hispanic. And Hispanic came from the U.S. Census. So way back in the, in the 1960s, when there was the the basically well, actually where the Hispanic Heritage Month started is around that time during the civil rights movement. There was also a lot of Latinos in the U.S. that were organizing, specifically Puerto Ricans up in the Northeast and mm -hmm. Mexican Americans in the Southwest. And prior to this, uh, the 60s, the late 70s, the, the late 60s and early 70s. There wasn't a way the census was measuring things that were happening to Latinos and many Latinos mm -hmm. were falling under white. And so when that was happening, it was impossible for folks to understand what was happening in, say, East L.A., where there's a concentration of poverty. So organizers organized, they got together and they knew that we would be able to advocate for more resources, specifically federal resources, if we could be counted as a group in the census. And mm -hmm. so that's where it came together to come up with a category to count Latinos. And because in the U.S. Census Bureau is who came up with the word Hispanic. Mm -hmm. So because that is a, a government term, even though organizers and people forget this, organizers knew that there would be an advantage to being counted as a group. Besides that, there's this um, negative energy around the word Hispanic because it's the government imposing this term on us. Mm -hmm. Regardless of that, it seems to be the case that more of more people are allergic to that term on the West Coast than they are on the East Coast. The East Coast still uses Hispanic and they don't have that mm -hmm. um, that it doesn't have that negative weight behind it. Mm -hmm. All I have to say is that it all depends on how an individual want, you know, wants mm -hmm. to be called. But we at, the, at Tamarindo, we do realize that there's political power in numbers and it is important to count the issues, uh, count us and, and, and measure issues because it's the only way that you're mm -hmm. able to measure change is by knowing yeah. what's going on. So for those reasons, we uh, support the notion of falling under an umbrella, but we use the word Latinx for our community. 
That was so well said. And I loved that you were able to balance the uh, concerns people have on the different coasts. And there's such, I mean, from my understanding, when the the census put it together, it was literally anyone from a Spanish speaking origin place. That, that's is, correct. But it still left some blurriness. So, for example, um, even though Spain is a Spanish yes. origin place. Yes. There's concerns about, well, I mean, is that really who we're talking about here? And mm-hmm. there's also still, I mean, it's it's imperfect, right? It's an imperfect term because there are black Latinos. So do they check yeah. black or what? <laughs> so yes, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a growing issue, but I think the important thing is that there's a lot of things that do unite us as a community. And there's a lot of um, opportunities that continue to exist for us to have better representation, better access to resources, mm-hmm. better representation in government. And that's really what's the most important part. Yeah. Well, and that's what, you know, um, bringing up the um, Afro-Latina, is that correct? First, depending on how folks want to be called, some people right. want to be called Afro Latinx. Some people say, you know, I'm I'm black. You know, so it's yeah. it's up to how a person feels that they ought to be called. As all other things, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. But it, what is important to know is that there are black Latinos, mm-hmm. and that when we talk about anti-blackness, that is global. We know that that's global, and of course, that also impacts Latinos who happen to be black. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what are you guys doing to celebrate? Hispanic Heritage Month with the podcast. I mean, we celebrate all year long. Like that's what it, that's what we're about. I mean, the entire yeah. podcast is to remind people, hey, we we're here, we've been here, and even though Hollywood would help you have you think otherwise, we yes. want to be able to tell our stories and and be able to get the support and resources that we need for our community mm-hmm. because we know when Latinos succeed, so does the country because we yes. need everybody to be in, in, um, supported in this community. So we celebrate all the time. There's mm-hmm. nothing specific that we do, but it is a time that um, that I think there's a, there's sort of like a joke around it too, because it, it's hilarious sometimes like, oh, this is the only time that folks right. are, are knocking down our doors um, or they're so late or or uh, we have a you know, PR folks like for Latinx Heritage Month, like, yeah, we know. So mm-hmm. there is, a, of course, a little bit of, of rolling your eyes about it. But personally, I believe it's there's more good to more, more good to be had to have a special time to, to recognize the contributions of Latinos in the U.S. Because, of course, in, in schools and other places, if you're not at all interested in learning about different subgroups within our country, you might be forced to just learn about it because it's everywhere. So I mm-hmm. ultimately, I think it's a good thing to have time to pause and learn about the ways that we've been part of the country. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited to ask you some of the questions I was going to have for that panel. And one of them is, you already mentioned briefly about Hollywood. I've had quite a few uh, people of the Latinx community on this podcast who are um, comedians or actresses, and they talked a lot about how things, there was this illusion that things were changing. And it's only really recently, like during the pandemic recently, where we're getting um, more authentic storytelling because it's not just Latinx actors or actresses showing up. It's the whole process is starting to be part of a Latinx community. What do you see from your um, from your perspective? And is Hollywood and is represent- representation, pardon me, changing in what's being made for TV and movies? 
I mean, I think the, the correct experts for this would be folks that are part of the industry and also mm-hmm. uh, great researchers that are investigating this and measuring it. I know that yeah. the uh, Hispanic Caucus in Congress actually released a report measuring this. So really, that's where I want to point people to get um, a real snapshot of what's going on. But from a consumer, as a, you know, I'm a TV watcher and yeah. media watcher, like all of us that are listening here, I, I believe that the the... The fact that there's more streaming services and the fact that there's not just the traditional TV, there's a lot of other media has certainly opened up doors of opportunities to tell more of our stories. But from we also speak to a lot of actors and creators and we hear that there's still mm-hmm. a lot of roadblocks. There's still um, a, a lot of roadblocks from behind the scenes and just being able to get projects off the ground to get mm-hmm. the OK to get something going. So I think there's there uh, clearly there has been progress. I believe that there's you know Hentified on Netflix is a yeah. wonderful show that I want to encourage folks to take to, to take some time to check out because it is created by young Latinx folks um, and and so and it's a wonderful story. So everybody should check that out. There's there's shows like that. There are examples that we can point to, but there's not enough. And mm-hmm. anytime there is something that gets produced. It is so rare. And, and as you as we just talked about the complexities within our community, there's like 75 think pieces about how it could have been better. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that doesn't happen in, in other projects. So progress has been made, but there's still much more work to do. Yes. And I want to give a shout out to Annie Gonzalez from Hentified, who's been on the podcast. Uh, she's amazing. Um, I also recently watched, I think, is a an as you've been saying, a great resource. And I love that you're having true places for people to go because it roots it in, go learn yourself, get the facts from the people who are like certified <laughs> to, get, to get facts. Um, but there's a great documentary on PBS, uh, specifically um, LA PBS, about um, how immigration policies shifted in America because of California in the 1990s. Um, I believe it's 187, Prop 187. Right, Prop 187, yes. And for everyone who has no idea what we're talking about, um, you know, what do you know about 187? I can fill in what I learned from the documentary, but I, it's such, I don't understand how we're not talking about that movement and what happened in the scope of the entire U.S. because it literally changed um, having immigration be a political conversation and be a party conversation after that point. Yes, I, there's someone that's researched this extensively, and that's Dr. Manuel Pastor at USC. He's got a fantastic book. Um, it's called State of Resistance, and folks can really get the entire picture. So here's the high-level <laughs> overview. Prop 187 was you know, Governor Pete Wilson and this, this idea that undocumented immigrants should not even be able to have their children go to school or, or, and so denying basic services that are constitutionally protected. So it really did galvanize uh, the Latino community. And it was also indicative of, of this long history of what was happening in California. What was happening in California is that it was becoming more diverse. There were more immigrants coming and, Folks, California used to be this fantastic haven 
where the, 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 from the 60s, investing in public education, we, were, we had great public schools. And as folks benefited for generational wealth, including the GI Bill that was denied to, to Black people, for example, as these uh, white families started to establish themselves and have resources, they all of a sudden were like, well, I don't want my tax dollars to go to those kids that are brown, mm-hmm. basically, is what they're... So this... this um, this notion of uh, our resources for them was really behind the energy, behind things like Prop 187, behind also um, Prop 13 that people should know about. Anyways, um, Prop 187 was so um, disgusting that it really did galvanize folks, but organizers were already working on things. And it was the work of organizers that really change the face of of California, where now Mm -hmm. this is why Dr. Manuel Pastor called his book State of Resistance, right? Mm -hmm. California was the 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 state more um, anti-Trump and really pushing back all uh, the whole four years. How did that happen? How did we go from Mm -hmm. we hate immigrants to we're going to tell Trump that that is not cool here in California. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a great place for folks to, to look. And the lesson is that it took organizing. It took mm-hmm. a lot of work. And, and that's really what needs to happen nationally in order for us to to not have a Prop 187 continue nationally. Yeah. And we were able to obviously put a little bit of a dent towards that mm-hmm. by not having Trump get reelected. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean the, the work is over. As we have seen, Biden has also done some pretty hideous things when it comes to immigration. So there's still mm-hmm. a lot of work to be done here. But yeah. I think folks, if folks just read State of Resistance, you'll understand all of it. Yeah. Well, it, and what I think was maybe like as disgusting as the proposition was, what made it even darker to me was that people knew it was complete nonsense. They knew it was unconstitutional and they used it simply to win an election because it was so decisive. Right. Like they, they used it knowing it was bad. And that's the part that I like, you know, like it's, I just couldn't get over that piece. Like, you know, it's bad and you're using it anyway because you just want to win. And that's what has swept across from California out. So it's uh, it's it's really interesting how it how it shifted everything. And read the book, go find the documentary. Like we, it's one of those things that, not being someone who grew up in California, when I watched it, it, it had all these aha moments of how all of the different things about the culture and what's happening, socially, politically, and beyond, like all of a sudden made sense in such a different um, light than they did before. Yeah. And what I'm hopeful for, if folks, mm-hmm. if folks want to know what Pete Wilson was like, just look at Governor Abbott in Texas. So and 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 the language there that, that where he says that there's a surge in COVID there because of all the immigrants, you know, there's it, it's completely mm-hmm. toxic what's happening in places like Texas. Mm-hmm. But what I hope happens is that 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 um, organizers can can really change the face of what's happening in Texas. But we have to also recognize that they're up against voter suppression and, and mm-hmm. uh, horrible insidious things. But Prop 187 and, and the energy behind that is still um, around us in many different yeah. places. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about TV and film a little bit. We've talked about, you know, a little dip into the politics with this one prop conversation. Um, are things changing um, for the Latinx community in California, in the U.S.? Are they Are they getting better? Are they getting worse? Is it moving with the country where it's all 
by getting more divided versus being a collective? What do you see and what are you hearing through the podcast? I mean, certainly there's there's division around anybody that lives in the U.S. and Latinos live in the mm-hmm. U.S. and Latinos yes. are a huge group of people. So there's division within Latinos, right? There are Latinos that are they're happy to be Republican, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, because they are American and, they, and yes. just like there's Republicans in the nation and Latinos are part of the nation. But I think let me go back to California. I think California is a fantastic example of progress because one, we just had a recall election here in California, and we were clearly when we sent a message that no recall, we want to continue on the path that we're in. And that included Latino voters being pivotal in making that be the case. Why? I think it's because with Governor Newsom, again, this is the work of organizers. He's just the one that signed the bill. But organizers for a very long time have been trying to expand access to um, Medicaid to Mm -hmm. seniors who happen to be undocumented because, again, they still live here. They've probably worked and contributed their whole life. And we can't leave folks hanging and, and uncovered. So this year, or might have been in 2020, uh, the governor in California passed this bill that allowed uh, seniors 55 and old uh, and over who are income qualified to get access to Medicaid, Medicare, um, the, the state state sponsored Medicare. I think it's called uh, something else in California, but I don't know right, exactly right now. Point is, like the, the, the there's a lot of positive things that are happening here in California that recognizes the humanity of um, of immigrants, and so I think one another common phrase is that the way California goes, so does the nation. So mm-hmm. I hope that it's, this is what could happen nationally, but. What's different now that is growing that maybe we weren't um, experiencing to the degree that we are now is misinformation. Mm -hmm. We have a a tremendous problem in this country with misinformation and that that misinformation is in English and in Spanish and it impacts all of us. And as Mm -hmm. we can see, the hesitancy for the vaccine is a perfect example. The fact that there's tons of data and science that says the vaccines are safe yet there's still this hesitancy and it's because of misinformation and lies. And so that is what we're up against. And we're mm-hmm. also up against, as I mentioned in Texas, voter suppression laws happening in different places. Mm-hmm. So I, it's hard to say, are we doing better? Or are we doing worse? I mean, there's places where we are doing better and nationally for another perfect example for this is that there's national support for the, for getting a path to citizenship for what are quote unquote, the dreamers, right? For mm-hmm. kids that they, they're not kids, they're 35, they're they're They have homes, they have business, they have their parents. These folks have been waiting in limbo for 20 years, mm-hmm. but there's national and bipartisan support for that. That is, I think, a, a symbol of progress. Will we get it done? That's yet to be de- to be decided. How are the conversations ha- changing around the dinner table between friends within the Latinx community? How have they been changing from even 10 years ago to 20 years ago? Like how, how is it shifting? Well, I would say, I mean, something that, that does happen with, uh, with the podcast is what we like to say is sort of unlearning. We, mm-hmm. and this is happening as a country, right? We are unlearning these um, notions of what the gender binary is, yeah. right? We are unlearning um, homophobia, right? We are unlearning fat phobia. So mm. these are the conversations that the, our audience is having along with us mm. is, is kind of reflecting on the messages that we were 
we were receiving and not just we Latinos, all of us. Right. And now reflecting and realizing, oh, okay, no, there's actually uh, all kinds of gender fluidity. There's all kinds of sexual expression. Mm -hmm. There are so many ways that we've been toxic within um, to each other when it comes to colorism and anti-blackness and racism. So those Mm -hmm. are the conversations that we're having now. We're having conversations about uh, about embracing the diversity within people. Yeah. If you look back at yourself as an eight-year-old, would you have imagined that this is how you're spending your time and what you're building? I don't think so because I was when I was eight, I wanted to be a veterinarian. So, so I'm not a veterinarian at all. Uh, but I think I've always been a bit of a loud mouth. I know that all of my parent-teacher conferences involved teachers before my mother could understand. Uh, t- teachers just gesturing, she talks too much, right? Like mm-hmm. opening and shutting their hand to sh- to show that's her <laughs> talking too much. So perhaps I was destined to talk a lot. <laughs> Did you grow up in a family that, you know, that spoke up when they saw injustice? Were you part of a, a, um, a community that encouraged you to, to use your voice in this way? I believe so. My parents came to the U.S. because my, my brother was diagnosed with a terminal illness called muscular dystrophy. And my parents, I also talk about um, my you know, the privileges that I have, the privileges that I have is that my parents are college educated. They have the resources to uproot their family to mm-hmm. come to a new country because they knew they was going to offer the best quality of life for their family. So we were able to do that. I mean, we still had um, we were in immigration limbo. So there were still a lot of barriers, a lot of challenges. And my parents weren't able to use their degrees, even though they had them. But I think still as as people that that had a level of education, they were able to be great advocates for me in school mm-hmm. and great advocates for my brother, for him to get the best sort of care. So yes, there's many ways that my my family um, afforded me the opportunities to, to think about college as a, as a, like, of, of course, you're going to college and yeah. think about, about injustices and, and, uh, you know, they also left, not only did they leave to give my brother a better quality of life, but they also left a, a country that was economically challenged and also plagued by corruption, which mm-hmm. are not things that are, at least they're not as apparent here in the U.S., even though they might still be there. But that's, that is my background. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously you are a powerful lady. You talk to powerful ladies all day long, um, have partnership with one in through the podcast. How have the women in your life inspired you to keep going, to um, do it anyway, when we don't want to, and it sucks and it's hard and everything feels like it's against us. So how have powerful ladies in your life gotten you to where you are today and how do they continue to support you? Yes. I mean, I'm very lucky that I also have a lot of powerful ladies in my network and and there's, and I've had so many mentors and advocates and, and supporters. And I would say, I mean, there's quite a few that come to mind. I actually just spend breakfast uh, with, with one person that I consider to be a, a mentor and just always someone is cheering me on. And she was a former supervisor of, of mine now, a, you know, good friend and a supporter of the podcast. So I, I I've had some cheerleaders along the way. We've also through the podcast have been able to meet amazing people. And I would say that um, Alicia Menendez from Latina to Latina podcast, and also uh, Maria Hinojosa, 
from Futuro Media. These are two journalists. Mm -hmm. These are two women that I think are uh, have been courageous and bold in their spaces to talk about some of the barriers that women commonly face and how we're overcoming them and how these barriers take a different form when you mm -hmm. are a person of color. So I think I've, I, these are just some of the women that I think are, are great role models for, for me and can be great role models for anybody listening as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, we ask everybody on the podcast, when you hear the words powerful and ladies separately, what do they mean to you? And does the definition change when they're combined? Yeah, I mean, powerful to me, um, that is the whole study of political science, which is what my degrees <laughs> are in. It's about who holds the power, mm -hmm. who doesn't. Is it fair? That's basically the gist of politics, right? So uh, I want more of us to feel powerful. Lady, I would say that before um, before working with Anna Sheila, before be confronting and unlearning different things, Anna Sheila is queer. Mm -hmm. And she one of the things we do on the podcast is we also throw things in la basura, like things that we're canceling. Mm -hmm. And I believe that she's canceled lady before because <laughs> it also assumes, right, that that yes. maybe we you know, it, we, we think of a lady, we might think of somebody very formally dressed. And in mm -hmm. fact, in, in the game Loteria, which yep. is, you know, the Mexican bingo, there's La Dama, which means the lady. And she's wearing, you know, she's very reserved. And so I think lady, now I have a different um, embrace. I look at that word differently because mm -hmm. now I know that there's so many ways to be, oh, to be a woman, to be femme that have nothing to do with being a lady. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's it's one of the biggest things I love talking to people on this podcast because um, it, for, it's I struggle with the name all the time. I knew I wanted to speak to people who I who uh, mostly women who people who identify as women is who I wanted to hang out with and talk to because it's a very, it's a different perspective. But I also was like, screw it. If I want to have men on, I admire. If I want power couples on, like we're just going to do it, and I don't think anyone's going to care who's listening. They'll figure it out. Right. Um, but being being someone who has always identified as female, but usually hung out with the guys. Like I worked in skateboarding for a while. Like I was in footwear. Like it would be me and a bunch of guys in a room and that felt normal. Like ladies is a word that's like, it's such a, it can be, people love it. And some people are like, Ugh. and it's really interesting to see where that word falls. Um, the The origin for me was really Missy Elliott. And like, cause it, to me, it's like this fun, like from her songs, like, Hey ladies, like, it's like, it chills it out. It's not like the queen. It's like, no, like we're cool. We're ladies. And, but it always comes up. Like, should we change the name to powerful humans? What should we do? Cause we want, we're inclusive. We want to be inclusive. Um, and there's a unique story to tell. So it's like, where do we, where's that line and where does it make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that whole thinking is why things like Hispanic Latinx is so complex because language yeah. is complex. And the thing is that we, as society, you know, we human beings are the ones that give that give words meaning. Yeah. So things evolve and, and that's really what it's all about. You know, things evolve. And if it, if it feels correct still, then that's what feels good for you. Yeah. Well, and that's something that I love about the Spanish language that I wish we had in English and in, uh, in more languages had it is the the difference between ser and a star, right? Because we put in, in English, so many things sound permanent that are not. Mm. And I love that in Spanish language, 
it, there's a there's a differentiation between a temporary and a permanence, and I, I think it gives more fluidity to the language overall and to not putting it onto identities. Mm, now, this that's is interesting. Me from the outside looking at how I wish I had that word to use more often, but because uh, I find myself saying like right now I am, and I'm like, this is so many words. Just give me one word. <laughs> Just <say> yeah. All <laughs> of this. <laughs> Yeah. So funny. When you uh, started the podcast and knew you wanted to, was it something you said you had all those resources, right? Between having access to the studio and a producer, was it still something that you had the idea and started right away? Or was it something that kept poking at you over time? I mean, I think it poked at me a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I am these, these, I'm a, um, there's a word in Spanish for what I am, atrevancada, which is just like, I just go for it. Um, yeah. And we'll see what happens afterwards. So I think it was sort of like that, like, let's just go for mm-hmm. it. Like I, and I was a big consumer of other podcasts and mm-hmm. kind of had an idea of what I wanted Tamarindo to be because I knew what I liked the most of similar conversation style podcasts. So mm-hmm. it wasn't very difficult to just get going, but yeah. we've also been open to, to um, try new things and just kind of figuring out what's going to work and just mm-hmm. not taking ourselves too seriously. And that has worked really well for us. And I, 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 what we love the most is when we receive feedback that we sound authentic, right? That's yep. what it matters. That's what matters to us is that we be authentic. Who have you been most proud to get to be a yes to come on your show? My gosh. I mean, there's been so, so many incredible people. Mm-hmm. I, I already mentioned two, so yes. Alicia Menendez and Marina Hosa. The actor Raul Castillo is another mm-hmm. one that I was so excited to speak to. Folks might know him from the show Looking on HBO from a few years ago, which I absolutely loved. And he was just such a warm and wonderful person. So mm-hmm. I think he's another person that I, I'm so grateful that we had a chance to speak to. One of the things that will come up often on this podcast is how it's just about making the request. Like, you know, you just ask people to to be a guest and how many people that we actually have access to have conversations with if we genuinely and authentically are making a request and making it not just for us, but worth everyone's time. Is making those requests something that came naturally to you? I'm going to guess yes, based on uh, what you've shared so far. Uh, but for people who don't think it's that easy, that they're uh, a request away, what advice did you give them? Yeah, I think at first, maybe it was a little bit like, oh, well, maybe they'll want to come on. But we've been so lucky that we have the opposite problem of like, mm-hmm. who do we pick? There's too many folks that they, that want to be part of the show. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, what has helped us and maybe what could help listeners and what I'm sure has helped you is kind of getting crystal clear about who's the right fit, right? Who's the right yeah. fit for the show? The other thing that we've learned is that even though someone might be doing something fantastic, it's a whole other level for them to them for them to be great speakers or succinct yes. speakers on a podcast. <laughs> so those, those are some lessons. I'd say another tip that I suggest for folks, if there's someone that you're not 100% sure about, mm-hmm. is have an inf- informal conversation. No commitment required. Just check them out. See, and and occasionally we work with our guests to sort of finesse the topic. Mm-hmm. One lesson that we learned is that I think folks are attracted to the topic more so than the guests. So we try mm-hmm. to work with the guests to find a topic that we can talk about, so that even if our listener doesn't know who that person is, they can mm-hmm. still get something out of it. Yeah. That's another tip. Yeah. Um, being someone who 
loves the politics piece and loves the fairness and loves the storytelling and talking about it and sharing it with people, you know, what are you doing for yourself to not just be generating, but to be consuming? Yeah. Um, I mean, like how do we stay informed ourselves? I mean, we listen to a lot of podcasts. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, we, we listen to, to a lot of podcasts. We also, so Anna, Shayla and I, we also check in. One of the things we do on the show is we ask our guests how they get their calma, how do they stay grounded, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. we also incorporate some calma practices and suggestions and tips. Anna Shayla is a, a well-being coach and mindset mm-hmm. coach. So that comes really hand, comes in really handy when we want to do all that stuff. So as partners in this, because as you know, it's a lot of work to put together these mm-hmm. conversations. Anna Shayla and I are also constantly checking in, you know, what feels good? Are we taking on too much? Do we, do we need to take a break? We're really conscious of the workload and thinking yeah. of ways to kind of feel both of us feel supported and to know when we need to take a pause and take a break so that we could bring the best to the show. Yeah. It's, it's uh, so much of what goes into podcasting isn't seen and isn't, isn't available to the people who are listeners. And a lot of people who have asked me like, what should I do? How frequently, which I'm like, listen, I decided every Wednesday because that's what I wanted to do. But there are days when I wish I did like one a year. <laughs> right? It's so much work. <laughs> there's so much work and so much managing. And it's like, it's, there's the whole production side of it, not just even the audio engineering, but just scheduling. Like if somebody like cancels last minute, if it, the window's too tight, you're like, oh, well, I'm going to have to miss a week or get creative or do another thing. Um, there's a lot going into it, but I mean, I adore it. I love it. I love, like you said, getting to meet incredible people and and tell, like, have conversations that are are interesting to me, but also interesting to the listeners, and hopefully moving things forward and inspiring people. It's um, powerful lady started by people saying, "I can't too much," or "I'm mm-hmm. not powerful," and I was like, "Ooh, we are gonna fix that." <laughs> Definitely, yeah, and that and that's the goal. And I get a lot from podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I know that I listening to podcasts have, have has made me think about a situation in a different way, has made me want to improve myself. So yeah. that's what we want to do with it for other listeners is like, what yeah. can we share that we've learned or who can we introduce you to that you need to meet as well? And, and we, we keep that in mind and that's what fuels us to keep going. Mm-hmm. We ask everyone on the on the podcast where you put yourself on the powerful lady scale. If zero's average everyday human and ten is the most powerful lady imaginable, where would you put yourself today? And where would you put yourself on average? Oh my gosh, that's really tough. I would say <laughs> whenever I finish a workout, I feel like a ten. <laughs> uh, I feel like yeah, I'm such a badass when I do that. But I think too, even, even with this, this putting together this podcast, when you, Mm -hmm. when you don't see a new review where, where you see your listeners ships stay stagnant, things like that really get me on like the three, you know, (laughs) like a three, I would say today being able to uh, have brunch with a mentor, being able to Mm -hmm. speak to you, being able to watch a lot of uh, love on the spectrum on Netflix, which is fantastic today. I'm feeling like an eight. Mm -hmm. I like it. Um, you know, when you look at where your podcast is going and the impact it's having, what is lighting you up, right? We talked about the viewership being stagnant, but what's causing you to keep going and keep putting all this work in? Cause it is such hard work. 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, people write us a review because if you write us a review and share the night, stay happy for like five weeks. So <laughs> it's very important because we it is very. Um, and the thing is, like we people will tell us in other ways that they that hey, this mm-hmm. this episode moved me or blah blah blah. But the only place that really matters is an Apple Podcast review. So when we get those, it really fires us up and it just mm-hmm. makes us feel fantastic. But just knowing that a, a, a specific episode touched someone, mm-hmm. that's enough. Mm-hmm. Like if we if one person got something from the episode, that's really exciting for us, and and that's what keeps us going. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your life like before doing the podcast? Well, I mean, I would say this is something that I've been able to incorporate while still working a lot. Right. So Mm -hmm. I, I, I work for a Latino civil rights organization called Unidos US. And, and that's when I was working with them, when I started the podcast, and then I've had a a couple of, um, other jobs since. So it's been something that I've been able to incorporate to my life, but, but we did formalize as a LLC this year and we are trying to call in making this a little bit more Mm self-sustaining and, and it's slowly, but surely, you know, getting those sponsorships in and and seeing it kind of grow has been helpful, but that before Mm -hmm. I was still advocating in an official capacity, working for a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Uh, For everyone listening, whether they, Actually, I'm going to say specifically, anyone listening from the Latinx community, what do you want them to know right now? I want them to know that that there's no um, scale that says you're Latino or not, you're Latinx or not. Mm -hmm. It's what you embrace and and how you show up. And and there's no right or wrong way to show Mm -hmm. up. I know that there's a lot of folks that feel less than because Mm -hmm. they're, they are told that they're less than from every side of it. And so we recognize that. And we want you to know that actually you are double, right. And sometimes triple depending on all the different things that make you and that you're not less than that's what I want people to hear. Mm -hmm. And that would be for everyone. I'm assuming. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Well, for um, everyone who wants to follow you, support you and contribute to what you're creating in the world, where can they find you and follow you? Yeah, I would say the best place is to go to tamarindopodcast.com and I'll spell it out for you. It's T-A-M-A-R-I-N-D-O podcast.com, tamarindopodcast.com because that's where you'll be able to find all of our socials and, and listen to all of our episodes and find different ways to work with us. Perfect. And the Powerful Ladies community is global and powerful. So we've been asking everyone, what is something that you need or you're looking for? And maybe someone listening can provide that for you. Oh, thank you. Well, can I have a million dollars? <laughs> My account is, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, honestly, if you've heard an episode and you liked what you heard, please mm-hmm. just write us an up, uh, right. Actually, if you like this pers- for both of the podcasts that you're in your ears right now, go and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. It takes two minutes and it means so much to us. And I'm sure you're looking for sponsors, right? So if anyone want, is your perfect fit for you to reach out through the website as well too. Yes, yes, please. We want to work with so many different brands out there where we're reaching mostly women, mostly women, women, mostly women between the ages of 24 to 34. And, you know, those are the decision makers in their household. So reach out to us. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you so much for being, I guess, the powerful ladies. Thank you for the work you do and the voice that you give to so many people in the community and beyond. 
and for educating and sharing this with everyone because it, it means a lot and having people like you do this work is important. So thank you for being courageous and doing the big things. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a joy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. All the links to connect with Brenda are in our show notes at thepowerfulladies.com forward slash podcast. There you can also leave comments and ask questions about the episode. If you want more Powerful Ladies, come join us on Instagram at Powerful Ladies. There you can also find some free downloads to start being more powerful today. Subscribe to this podcast and help us connect with more listeners like you by leaving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you're looking to connect directly with me, visit caraduffy.com or go over to Instagram at Cara underscore Duffy. I'd like to thank our producer, composer, and audio engineer, Jordan Duffy. Without her, this wouldn't be possible. You can follow her on Instagram at Jordan K. Duffy. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, I hope you're taking on being powerful in your life. Go be awesome and up to something you love.